The podcast you are listening to is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. All right, how do you handle the problem? And as the wonderful strains of the Cybertronic spree fade away into the ether like an opening text crawl, we welcome you to In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast, and the show where we look back at the 1980s Star Wars animated oddity, Droids, the adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO. I am your host, William Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt Shergi. How you doing, Matt? Oh, good. How you doing, Thrasher? I'm doing pretty well. I think we've got a pretty good episode coming for you. And this week, the episode we're going to look at is the seventh episode in the series, originally aired October 19th, 1985, The Pirates of Tarnuga, which continues the saga which uh, involving the planet Tamuzan, uh, Jessica Mead, Monjulpa, <clears throat> excuse me, and all the other heroes that we've had introduced in the series so far. For and this particular story arc. And this officially marks, I think, the halfway point, right, for the series? Yeah, when we when we are done with this episode, we will have uh, we will be halfway through this entire series. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. <laughs> but this has been a fun experience. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the second half. Yeah, because this is really the first time for me watching. I think most of these episodes, except for the first one, and it sounds like you have watched the whole thing before at one point. Uh, yes, I had seen the entire series before when it reran on the Sci Fi Channel in the early '90s. Now, here's a question. Because this episode, this uh, show is so um, story arc driven, did they air the episodes in order or was it randomly? Amazingly enough, they aired all the episodes in order, although they started with The Great Heap, which is traditionally listed as the series finale. Even though it takes place before, well, anyway, yeah. So Star, Star Wars has a, I'll just say, unique chronology. That's being kind. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of surprised. You know, the first two episodes of this arc was all about um, Maljupa remembering who he was and, you know, earning his rightful uh, place in the throne of Tamuzan. And this one, it, it brings back a character briefly introduced at the beginning of the last episode, The New King, with uh, the pirates, uh, including Captain Kaibo Renshaw. Ren yeah. Uh, also known just as Kaibo Ren for th- throughout the episode. He looks a bit like... Uh, what I would think of like a Mad Magazine drawing of Genghis Khan would look like. Yeah, he, he is sort of like Genghis Khan, but wearing like a 1970s biker gear. And in fact, I'm, that's this that's a an, look a lot of the pirates have. Right. And um, this is an 80s cartoon. And I was, was shocked to see that there was no like racist portrayal of like the Asian stereotype voice in the <laughs> voice of the pirates. But, but, yeah, he just has, like, a standard pirate voice. Mm-hmm. We'll get them. No one escapes the wrath of Kaibo. Yeah, and I thought I was preparing to cringe at whatever voices would come out of those characters. But they're not. You know, I like that they... Um... Well, you see him. He's clearly supposed to be Asian, and yes, he does yeah. have that Fu Manchu mustache. But, you know, that he thankfully... he He's a stereotypical pirate. He's not a stereotypical Asian. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, that, that's well put. And the way he, I love how the um, stolen TIE fighters have like slightly different, uh, a slightly different paint job on them. Well, that's, that's something I, I, I love. Cause like when the, when the episode begins, it does open with a thrilling space battle. And there, there's like two and a half episodes worth of action in this one half hour episode. But yeah, they, when they were, when uh, Jessica Mead's freighter is a, or tanker is attacked by Tie Fighters, they all have this neat kind of pirate skull logo painted on their on their uh, reflector panels. 
but I love that it's not just a case of them reusing an existing model for a spaceship. Story-wise, there is a reason why the pirates are flying TIE fighters, which we will learn later. Yeah, no, this episode, I think, is one of one of the better ones. Like, it has a real sense of adventure to it. It, um, I don't think it gets too convoluted with the story. And you have some monsters in there, which is always a good thing to have in Star Wars. Well, yeah, well, it has everything. It has everything a good Star Wars has. It has it has death traps. It has monsters. It has a secret weapon. Yeah, uh, it has a little kid saying, "This is pod racing." <laughs> it, has, it has everything except Jedi. But when the when the episode opens, so when when we last uh, when, when we last met our heroes, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Jessica Mead was going to be given a new spaceship by the royal court of Tamuzan. Uh, excuse me, the um, oh, excuse me, the uh, not Mon, not Monjulpa. I can't believe I keep forget. He is so he is so forgettable. I can't believe I keep forgetting his name. The 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 other human, <laughs> white dude. I, yeah. I, I. <laughs> no, no, it's uh <laughs> oh god, no, it's um not clips, it's Oh my god Jan Tosh, that's what it is. Jan yeah, Jan Tosh. Um he was made an advisor uh to the crown. But when this episode begins, uh Jessica Mead is piloting a tanker that has a fighter that is, has an A-wing fighter escort that Jan Tosh is piloting. Uh and you find out that the tanker is delivering fuel to Tamuzan to resupply the planet's defensive fleet, uh, and that they uh, and that there's another tanker that is a decoy tanker that they sent ahead to distract the pirates, uh, but then the pirates end up attacking them, and there's a real and there is a nice space battle with uh, some very decent animation. Yeah, and then a, a nice twist. You think like, oh, the heroes are going to win, but nope, they get overtaken and their ship gets boarded, and uh, they're they're yep. in trouble pretty quickly here. Yeah, Jessica Mead and the tanker captured. Uh, the the A wing gets caught in a tractor beam, uh, and they are all taken to the water planet of Tornuga, which of course a reference to Tortuga, which is the uh, secret pirate base for uh, Kaibo Ren's fleet. And yeah. so, something I like about Kaibo Ren, e- even though he's a little bit too buffoonish, I, I wish he was a little bit. I, w- I wish he was uh, a threat like Salig was. Um, but one thing that I love is he's clearly trying to win over Jessica Mead to his side. Like he respects her as a pilot, so he's always making overtures to get her to join his crew. I admit it's impressive in this episode. We don't get a scene. Where uh, Kaibo Ren is eating a meal and R two D two dumps the plate in his lap. <laughs> the rare episode of Droids without a food related mishap. You know, that's true. Although there, there uh, in the opening comic uh, comedic bit with R two D two and C three PO, there is a lot of oil related mishaps where they're doing maintenance on the tanker and uh, and R two and C three PO keeps slipping in oil, getting blasted with exhaust from different vents. Eventually, falls into a shaft. Yeah, there's. Um, it's a, a bit like the uh, Empire Strikes Back business where, you know, the Millennium Falcon is, is juking around and C-3PO is being tossed around. Oh my, oh, yeah, it's, um... Every time I touch anything mechanical, it turns hostile. Right, it's it's uh, always fun to see some uh, slapstick business. But yeah, when, when you get to the uh, planet and see that um, Kaibo Ren, he doesn't just have like one or two TIE fighters, he has like a whole armada. Oh yeah, and a lot of pirates. And so, so something about the pirates. We mentioned that they're all kind of wearing like sort of Star Wars versions of like biker clothes. Um, Kaibo Ren has this right hand man, this really tall alien with a nose piercing. There's a really nice touch where the armor that the alien is wearing is stormtrooper armor, but it doesn't fit. So he's just wearing the breastplate and the arm guards. But then he's wearing a stormtrooper's helmet like a hat because his head is so big. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that's a pretty cool They never cool draw detail. attention to it, but I love that flourish that that one pirate is wearing uh, repurposed Imperial armor. Yeah, a lesser, also- car- a lesser cartoon would have had dialogue where, hey, you're not a stormtrooper, are you? Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> 
Another thing, actually, another thing design-wise, we get a lot of new vehicle designs in this episode, but we also get some reused designs. Like the pirates travel across the sea in some of Jabba's, uh, the same type of craft as Jabba's uh, sand skiffs. Uh, and it looks like they're just taken right from the movie, which is pretty cool. But there's also several Gamorrean guards uh, among the pirates. I and have, I, love... I have to say the Gamorrean guards look great in the droids uh, animated style. Oh, absolutely. They, they look like they stepped right out of the monster's manual. But the other thing I like about it is it is this wonderful balance between old and new designs. You know, the TIE fighters look great in this style in this episode, but we also get those pirate speeder boats. We get Kaibo, uh, Kaibo Ren's initial flagship and then his later flagship when the secret weapon, the Demolisher, is introduced. But uh, very early on, we do get uh, we do get, you know, Kaibo's Kaibo's plan is that he he doesn't just want to raid uh, Tamuzan. He wants to take it over. He purposefully targeted the fuel shipment because he wants there to be no fuel for the defensive fleet so that the planet is completely unable to defend itself when he shows up to take over. Uh, And as a show of strength. He decides that he's going to he's going to keep Jessica Mead prisoner to continue trying to win her over, but then he's just going to straight up execute uh, Jan Tosh by taking him out into the middle of the ocean and throwing him overboard, where this giant monster is going to eat him. Yeah, it's the classic walk the plank thing, albeit with the, the sea monster. And um, how it it's neat we get to see the droids underwater, and R two D two always seems to have you know magical gizmos that pop up for only one use. Well, I feel like we, we're going to have to introduce a new segment where we just count C-3PO's gadgets because C-3PO, I'm C-3PO, but not C-3PO, R2-D2, because R2-D2 is a complete gadgeteer in this episode. At the beginning, he's popping out all these tools and he's doing maintenance work. When they arrive on Tornuga and C-3PO falls off a ledge, R2-D2 deploys an inflatable airbag to catch him. When R2-D2 falls off the boat... He deploys a propeller so he can move underwater and turns into a little water vehicle for Jan to ride around on. But he also deploys a breathing mask so that Jan can breathe underwater. He's a real Swiss Army droid. <laughs> yeah. But it's a pretty cool underwater action sequence, and I love that the pirates think that they think that they've won. But you know, they lead they lead the sea monster, the Miradon, on a merry chase. Uh, one of the, the touches is that at the bottom of the ocean, you get these nice alien underwater uh, underwater environments, but there's a downed spaceship in the bottom of the ocean. And in fact, that's the way they escape from the Miradon. They go into the cargo hold, uh, the Miradon follows them in and gets stuck in the cargo hold, and they go out the ship from the other side. And I, I love that use of the environment. And, and the ship, and the, the fact that there's a wreck of a ship at the bottom of the ocean near the pirate's base that's some neat environmental storytelling. Well, and kind of like the the monster they they fought against in the New King. It's nice that they um, the way they get rid of the monster isn't violent. They don't kill him. They just outsmart him. Yeah, which which in a lot of ways, like it is is a preferable. Like you know, no no monster has to die. It's not like it's not like the you know the Rancor doesn't make it out of the pit alive. <laughs> That's true, yeah, and some of that could be just because of standards and practices, but I mean, Star Wars is, it can be violent, but it has a certain tone, and it seems, you know, the way they handle it, the sea monster feels uh, appropriate for um, for this universe, and it, it's also fun to see uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO, you know, just, just sneak around the pirate base. Yeah, because they they end up going back into the uh, pirate base, and there's this there's this nice, like, steel net under underwater on the channel that enters the pirate base, which is clearly meant to keep large sea predators out, but they cut their way through, which does pay off because later in the episode, the Miradon swims through that gate and starts attacking pirates in their, in their Harbor. Um, but yeah, they get inside and they decide they want to rescue Jessica before they head back, before they escape to warn, uh, to warn Manjulpa about the pirate invasion fleet. So they waylay some pirates who are fishing and steal their outfits uh, and I, I love that their disguises don't work. Right, and then they go to the trouble of doing the disguise, but not very well. And, uh, and it does like R two D two with a cape and a hat still looks like R two D two. Maybe R two D two with a cape and a hat is a character on that sitcom with the the R two D two Wild West 
Oh yeah, this is a supporting character. We, I hope, I hope we can revisit that at some point. Maybe we can write a, a fan script for it. But um, when they're lurking, when they're trying to find Jessica Mead, there is this really fun moment where C three PO thinks he sees Jessica Mead uh, sleeping, wakes the sleeping person up. Only it turns out it's not Jessica Mead; it's a man wearing the same jumpsuit with the same haircut. And R two D two's trying to save face. Like, oh, oh! I didn't mean to wake you up. Uh, in fact, uh, go back to sleep. Uh, stay asleep. In fact, you're dreaming. You're dreaming right now. <laughs> yeah, that is a pretty amusing moment that uh, he gets to have there. So the thing that I like, though, is that while uh, Jan, R2-D2, and C-3PO are fumbling around trying to save Jessica Mead, Jessica Mead is doing a pretty decent job of saving herself. So she's, you know, she's been locked up in some pirate's quarters. Uh, she rigs the door panel to open the, uh, to open the cell door. Unfortunately, uh, Kaibo Ren is just showing up when she does that. And Kaibo Ren once again uh, makes an overture to her to get her to join his crew. And... Something I like is he keeps boasting, and she's like, "Well, if you're you know you're so badass, why don't you prove it?" And she throws up a, a targeting seeker, just like the one seen in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And Kaiba runs like, "Ah, practice with a target seeker, simplicity in and of itself." Um, and gets distracted by the by the seeker, uh, so that to, and that's what how Jessica covers her escape. Unfortunately, getting immediately recaptured because the the giant alien in the stormtrooper armor is still waiting outside. But this this is one of those things. I love I love Kaibo Ren's bluster. I love his pride. I love his scheming. I wish he was a physical threat at least once in this episode. I mean, strangely enough, he's more of a threat when he's introduced in the New King, blowing up Jessica's freighter. He never does anything that. He never does anything like that in this episode. He just kind of flails around and takes a lot of pratfalls. Yeah, his his uh, his bumbling nature makes him less of a memorable villain than he could be otherwise. I mean, even if he had, he could just, I don't know, just maybe blown up like one one ship outside of Tamuzan or, again, or, or just it wouldn't take that much to make him a bit threatening or to up the stakes. Uh, but still, that being said, as far as bad guys go in the show, it's uh, he has more character to him than uh, a lot of what we've seen in the second story arc so far. So I'll, I'll take what I can get at this point. And uh, I do like that the Demolisher is a stolen Star Destroyer. It, it goes yeah, when his, it's finally revealed what yeah. the Demolisher is, it's a it's a Star Destroyer that was in dry dock for repairs that the pirates were able to capture. And that's how they got all those TIE Fighters. Yeah, that it all ties together is is real neat and um and it's even a well thought out plan because as Jan points out, you know, the this is a whole star destroyer. The empire's going to come looking for it and he's like, "Ah, oh, that's why we're going to scuttle it after we take over the planet." Right, they have every angle thought of or so they think. Oh, yeah, but uh but in but in the end, uh Jessica uh Jessica Mead does manage to escape. She does. Uh, she manages to outwit the giant alien guard. She gets back to her. T- she gets back to her tanker and uh, flees Tornuga to return to Tamuzan. Unfortunately, that leaves Jan and R two D two and C three PO captured by the pirates, and they are put onto the uh, Demolisher Star Destroyer. <laughs> and I got to say, the Star Destroyer looks great. It's it's not the same class of Star Destroyer. I'm sure in the expanded universe. This must be a specific class. Um, oh, actually, you know what? I'll check now, see if I can find the... Uh, oh, it's a Gladiator-class Star Destroyer. So it's smaller than your standard Star Destroyer, but it has uh, more... It has uh, It's more dedicated to hangar space and fighter support. I love the shape of the Star Destroyer, that it's really just a big triangle. But what a triangle. Like, and this is a triangle <laughs> with like a wedge taken out of the front where there's a nice big hangar bay. But yeah, it, 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 it looks like it could have come straight out of a movie. Yeah, I don't know what it was about this episode that it seems like, I don't know if they had more money or, or had a better script or just were more motivated. But like the action, even the animation all around is just a, is a few notches up um, from what we've seen recently. Well, you know what? I th- I think it's just that it's had more time. I mean, this is halfway through through the season. It would have taken longer. 
it would have taken a bit. It would have had more time to be produced. I think it's. Just, I think some of that extra time just shows. Like uh, I've been trying to to be more fair with my my critique of the animation uh, for this series after all the the praise I gave it early on. But this is some of the best animation we've seen in the series so far. The lasers look great. Uh, the the action scenes are so are very very well animated. Uh, I love the hyperspace effect. I mean, it's thrilling when the demolisher jumps to hyperspace. The only real animation flub is once again they are inconsistent with the characters having three fingers or four fingers. And the teaser of this uh, at the end of the episode where C three PO and R two D two are in the bath together. <laughs> it, it made me groan a bit, but I guess that's the point, right? It, because it's an 80s cartoon, it has to end on a bad joke and everyone laughing. And, and an iris out. Yeah. But but we're not quite there yet. <clears throat> nope. So um, something I like is that so Jan is taken hostage, and the droids are put to work, and they're put to work in the torpedo bay. And something I love is R2-D2 being the scamp he is, he purposefully loads the torpedoes and the torpedo launcher backwards so that they'll backfire and blow up the demolisher, which which is which is great. I love that bit of sabotage, that sort of purposeful stupidity. Um, but you know, in, but there is uh, when they come when they enter the orbit of Tamuzan, Tamuzan's fleet. Uh, oh, sorry, they Jessica Mead's freighter has beat them there. They blow up the freighter, and you know, Kaibo's like, "Oh, that freighter is full of so much fuel; it'll blow up like a supernova." And he shoots it, and he and and he he holds the freight that he holds the tanker. But it turns out there's no fuel in it because it turns out Jessica's freighter was the decoy the whole time. It's a great third act reveal. And we learn that all that conversation they had over channels about being the real freighter was all to throw the pirates off. I love that third act reveal. Yeah, it's a it's a nice moment. It shows how smart old Iron Pants is. So, uh, oh yeah. And so, uh, the Tamuzan defensive fleet is fully fueled and supplied. So a whole bunch of fighters show up and, and two kind of Zeppelin looking capital ships show up to, to, to face off against the demolisher. Uh, the torpedoes start blowing up in the demolisher's torpedo tube. So the ship starts breaking up, uh, C-3PO, R2-D2 and Jantosh use the chaos to escape. They jump back into the A-wing and they fly off to freedom. The, uh, <laughs> the demolisher, uh, the demolisher gets blown up. Uh, the pirates, uh, the pirate fleet is routed. Uh, and but like you said, then it ends on a uh, it ends on a, a bath scene. R two D two and C three PO are being given an oil bath because they've presumably you know they are at risk of circuit corrosion because of all the salt water they were submerged in earlier in the episode. And it's such a it's a weird. It's so weird that it ends on a gag because like R two D two produces this like rubber bantha. And our and C three was like, oh, Artu, haven't I told you before? Which means this has happened several times. It's it's rude to bring your toys into the bath unless you have enough to share. And R two D two produces a second rubber bantha, and they both start playing with them in the oil bath. Everyone laughs, and we iris out. It it is a weird. It is a. I, I'm not saying it's a weird tone to end the episode on. But it's a weird scene because it's not as if it's not as if them playing with sharing toys somehow connects to the theme of the episode. The whole thing feels like a non sequitur. That scene you could put at the end of any episode of Droids. <laughs> yes, you could. It, it's so yeah. I agree. thematically it should have had something. Or um, well, it does. It does have one thematic or one. I guess not thematical, but uh, thematic, but sort of it's it's. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Is that so? This episode ends with R two D two and C three PO submerged in oil. The episode begins with C three PO stepping in a pool of spilled oil. Right. That's our first shot of a character. Is that? And so it it does create kind of a full circle, which I do very much appreciate. Uh, that sounds a bit of a stretch to me, but okay. But yeah, no. I think overall, I I really like this episode. It has some fun action underwater and in space. It has sort of a, a self-contained story, but I assume we're getting some kind of a follow-up because next week's episode is titled The Revenge of Kaibo Ren. And he is certainly due for some revenge. He's been thwarted by these people time and time again. Twice, yeah. So we'll see if the third time around he can uh, fight him. Uh, did you like this episode? Was this... 
This this has been my favorite so far. I really love this episode. Everything that Star Wars does well, this episode does very well. It's it's very packed. It never slows down. It never gets boring. Uh, it looks good. Right now, this is the height of the series for me. Well, we'll see if it goes down from here or soars to even newer heights. Um, who knows? Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens. And I, I'm also wondering if we'll see more of the bounty hunters in different episodes. Because so far we've well, seen Boba Fett and IG-88. But, well, the only way to find out is if you watch the series along with us. Right. No Dengar yet. No, um... No 4LOM. No 4LOM. No Zuckus. No Bosk. <laughs> no Mara Jades. Uh, well, I mean, that was before this came out, but yeah, no. <laughs> no Kyle Katarns. No General Thrawns. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Grand Admiral Thrawn. Grand, uh, yeah, I guess it depends on. Sir, which, please, I, he's I had a promotion. Yeah, I, I did like those um, Star Wars Timothy Zahn, you know, novel that original trilogy, and I guess now, like with the new canon, uh, they hired him to write like a new Thrawn, like prequel trilogy, but it kind of references the old stuff, but not really because it's in a different canon. Yeah, he he's inserting the old character into the new canon with a new book series. God, that's so complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've made my feelings on canon known, so you can listen to that in earlier episodes. Right. Um, so, where do we go from here? What's the next segment? Next segment is going to be Droid Eye for the Jedi, where we each put forward our own fan theory of who the secret Jedi Master really is. I, I would think the uh, secret Jedi Master is the uh, the sea monster. Really? Yeah. It's no, a, although I will admit, I almost put that forward until yep. something dawned on me. But please explain your okay, theory. Okay, so, so my theory is the sea monster, he likes to play with his victims, but as soon as R2-D2 and C-3PO fall in the deep, um, the monster senses something different. That the, these can help him somehow. He has a, a, a premonition that he will snack on some pirates if only he helps these, ro- these robots. So he gives them the extra. Um, he implants in their mind that how to escape appropriately and doesn't go after them too aggressively because he knows there's a yummy pirate treat waiting for him at the end. A food motivated sea monster. Underwater Jedi. So he, just, he so he manipulated them, knowing that they would cut down that steel mesh so that he could get inside. Right. Fascinating. Well, I'm going to put forward that the secret Jedi Master is, in fact, the pilot Jessica Mead, and I've got a, a couple of reasons. Mm. Um, one, she seems to have an almost preternatural danger sense. I mean, she knows to leave the tanker seconds before it's shot down. Uh, despite the fact that she has no way, she should have no way of knowing that the pirates are about to fire on her, uh, and not just try to capture her again, uh, thinking that this, since they think the freighter is, or the tanker is so full of fuel. Uh, also, she is the best pilot we've seen on the series so far, and if we have learned nothing from Star Wars, and I'm pretty sure we haven't, uh, it's that having the Force makes you a better pilot than everybody else. Uh, and then finally, she has a seeker orb. She has a piece of Jedi training equipment on her person ready to go at a moment's notice. Now, why would a non-Jedi have a piece of Jedi training equipment? I ask you, sir. If they had killed a Jedi and stolen it from them? Ah, uh, but why would you Why would you kill a Jedi? And how could you kill a Jedi unless you were a Sith? That's right. Jessica Mead is Darth Jesse. Darth Iron Pants. Okay. Darth Iron Pants. Oh, you know, I even forgot that. Yes, she also wears crazy armor that makes her voice sound weird. Once again, another reason to believe that she is a secret Sith Master. Pretty compelling. We'll have to see if we, that we, pays off somehow in the next episode. The revenge when of she betrays Mon Julpa, When she betrays Mon Julpa and Jan Tosh, it will be a bloodbath. Yeah, the I'm, now I foresee the last episode of the series will just be uh, Iron Pants... Dark Jedi, ma- Dark Sith Master herself, riding out into the distance with a uh, just corpses floating in space in her wake, <laughs> laughing in a sinister fashion. Yeah, ha 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 ha. Um, probably more threatening than that, but yeah, pretty good. 
All right, now we move on to our final segment, Expanded Universe, where we talk about non-movie Star Wars media that we've been enjoying this past week. Uh, what do you have for me? Yeah, um, so I've been going through these old Star Wars video games like I have this whole time, and the one I enjoyed this time is um, when on PlayStation 1, it was called Jedi Power Battles. Huh. It came out after The Phantom Menace, but before Attack of the Clones, and you could play as one of five Jedi, including like Mace Window, Windu or Plo Koon or Obi-Wan or what what have you, and it went... Kit Fisto? Not... Uh, no, I don't think so. Hmm. Um, but, I mean, it was a bigger selection than you thought, but not as much... It was before they had introduced a whole lot of different Jedi in the series proper. Um, and this game, it was, um, it does the story of the Phantom Menace, um, like loosely. And it is okay. It's not great. It has some platforming, has some action. It's kind of a, uh, there's a lot of pits to die in. Um, and it's (laughs) pretty hard. And I, I remember... Um, especially when I played this back when I was in high school, um, I got to the last level and could never beat Darth Maul. It was always too hard for me. Um, this game was... Release was delayed a while. Uh, and even so, when it came out, it was... It, it's a bit buggy. It has an easy mode on the main menu that doesn't work. It doesn't do anything different. <laughs> and... Um, one of the levels is so long that it has to, like, do a five-minute, or I'm exaggerating, it has to do, like, a one-minute loading screen to load the second part of the level into the memory. Um, but I think what's cool is if you have two controllers, you can play this as a two-player co-op game throughout the whole thing. Cool. Uh, there's some, I seem to recall, uh, there's some, like, mild leveling-up mechanic uh, of, of some sort, and the PlayStation graphics aren't great. Uh, there's a version of this on Dreamcast that I think is a slightly higher resolution. So it's this game is is okay. I would say this is better than the Phantom Menace uh, action game, but it's um it's not as good as like the Super Nintendo um, Super Star Wars trilogy. But it's definitely trying to be more in that vein than than other Star Wars games at the time. Hmm. Cool. Do you think it'd be worth a play? Uh, yeah, you know, you might as well. Although I'll I'll caution and say that first level on the Trade Federation ship. It took me like two weeks to get past it originally. Like it, the game oh, is, is much harder than it should be, uh, especially right off the bat. I can imagine a lot of people getting this game for their little kid, and uh, the kid crying and screaming. So, so that that at least that part of the game is Nintendo hard. Then, uh, yeah, I, I would I'd describe the whole thing like as Nintendo hard. It doesn't. Um, it only gets harder from there, especially the Naboo level. And the Coruscant level have a lot of like overly annoying sequences with the jumps, and you have limited lives, of course, so it's easy to blow lives by missing a jump by just a little bit. Hmm. So you could do worse. I would say this is straight down the middle in terms of Star Wars games. Oh, interesting. So as far as uh, what I've been looking at, I took a deep dive into Star Wars PSAs. Oh, and there's quite a lot of those. I, I've seen you post some of those on Facebook. Yeah, and I, I, I found there's four in particular that, that really stood out. And the one that, in fact, started this is one that I've posted several times. In 1977, um, R2-D2 and C-3PO did, Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker, they did a, uh, as those characters, did a PSA for the United States Department of Health uh, about the importance of childhood immunization. And it's it's a fascinating PSA. It's uh, it's filmed in one of the Death Star control room sets from the original movie. Uh, oh wow! And you know, and R two D two is making these noise noises, and C three P says, "Oh, don't be silly, R two. You can't get whooping cough." And he pronounces like whooping cough in the most British way. He really hits that that H. Uh, and then from there, kind of turns to the cameras like, "Well, we we droids can't get diseases, not like humans can." And then he turns to the camera, "Parents of Earth." 
please consult with your local Department of Health about childhood immunizations. And, you know, he talks about, he talks about diseases that were, that were fought or eradicated thanks to immunizations, such as whooping cough, polio, um, smallpox, things like that. It's, and it's, it's a, it's a really powerful ad. And, and my fascination with that ad is what led me to seek out others. Uh, and, and it strikes me as something I'm kind of shocked we don't see today with all this Star Wars media out. I'm kind of shocked we don't see Star Wars PSAs. And, I, yeah, I think especially, it would be you know, really it's not powerful. Like Disney does not do PSAs. I, I would say in general, you don't see PSAs on television as much anymore as you used to. And I mean, in the, in the 80s and 90s, they were all over the place. Uh, especially during the Saturday morning cartoon blocks, right? Um, yeah, and that was in part due to FCC requirements of the time, which which I th- I think to television's detriment uh, have been steadily loosened since then. Uh, yeah, I, I I would rather see a message like that in a PSA um, than in the middle of a cartoon to give it some forced message at the end. Like I was not, I never enjoyed except ironically those GI Joe segments at the end or, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and that was also a, I think like a F FDA or whatever, uh, mandatory thing. F- FCC. Yeah, I'm sorry. FCC. Um, the most amusing of those is when, uh, the sailor moon English dub was on UPN. Um, they would do oh, these yeah. uh, over the end. And one was with the, the cat Luna talking about how you should get your cat spayed. And they tried to loosely use a, a clip from an episode where Luna was in love with another cat. And like, it, it just was a complete mismatch. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, what, so one of the other PSAs I found, uh, they did a, there's a star Wars anti-drunk driving PSA, which I, I was done, which was commissioned by the United States department of transportation. And it's, this one is kind of like this one's r- r- really fun in a way because it's it's set in the Mos Eisley's cantina. Although clearly they o- only had the creature costumes, they didn't have the sets. Uh, the whole PSA pretty much takes place in a big uh, black void, but you you wouldn't necessarily notice that because you're distracted looking at the aliens. But you know, Fergandion and the modal nodes are playing. It uses the Star Wars cantina scene a theme, but it's all the different aliens from the cantina. Uh, kind of drinking and having fun, but the one uh, four-eyed, big, fuzzy, white alien is clearly too drunk at the bar and looks like he's about to get into a fight. And then one of the blue pilot aliens kind of comes over, puts his hand around his shoulder, and walks him to the exit. And then it's like, even in a galaxy far, far away, friends don't let friends drink and drive. And then, you know, cuts to the Millennium Falcon flying away, implying that they borrowed the Millennium Falcon so he could fly his friend home. Uh, And and this this one was really fun, but there's also a bit of a special effects quirk. So, you know, in the cantina scene, uh, in the establishing shot with that one triangle-headed alien just kind of sticks his face in the camera and looks around? Yeah. Well, that's just a head puppet. That's all that alien is. Mm -hmm. But that alien appears in this commercial... But they but they don't have a body for it, so they just kind of throw together a body out of some fur. So it looks like that alien's head coming out of Alf's body, <laughs> and it looks so bizarre. I was listening to the Star Wars podcast, uh, Blast Points, or it's either Blast Points or Blaster Points, something like that, and they brought up a uh, a cantina sketch using the original costumes from the movies. That was oh, the, the Richard Pryor, the show? Richard Pryor sketch. I had never seen that before. That was pretty. Uh, Funny and also pretty wild to um, uh, on this podcast. They had uh, a, a professional that works in Hollywood costume departments, and he he knew uh, way too much detail about like the original, like how to redress stuff, and it, it was pretty interesting. How like it's like you see the familiar masks, but they have different clothes and so forth, and why that would be the case. And, and in fact, as I recall, there is a rat puppet that's in that sketch. Which was re, which was used in a uh, adaptation of H. Uh, G. Wells's Food of the Gods, if I remember correctly. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I mentioned there's a few um, puppets in that sketch that were developed um, for movies that never got made that were just in the workshop, and they were trying <laughs> to figure out if the reason why this sketch had access to all those puppets was because if the holiday special was being filmed around the same time which is a good theory but they there's no way to prove that easily you know that's a poss that is a possibility although at the same time as i understand it when it looked like 
because Lucas did want to continue Star Wars, he was pretty cavalier in doing whatever he could to keep Star Wars in the public consciousness as he tried to get to get resources together for uh, The Empire Strikes Back. So this could have been part of that, you know, that he's just, if it keeps Star Wars in the public consciousness, sure, you can use these puppets. And it sounded like there was two more PSAs you were looking at. Uh, there are two more. Another one, it's another, another one is an R2-D2 C-3PO PSA, which I don't think is using any existing Star Wars sets. I feel like it, it looks like it was filmed in like a power, a redressed power plant, but it's an anti-smoking PSA, I believe commissioned by the American Heart and Lung Association. And, uh, you know, C-3PO is looking for R2-D2, and then he sees R2-D2 surrounded by smoke. It's like, oh no, R2, you're on fire! Oh no, you're not! You found a discarded cigarette! And uh, you know, R2-D2's got a cigarette in his pincer, and uh, C-3PO starts spouting off some health facts about how cigarette smoke can damage your heart and lungs, and you shouldn't start smoking. Although what's interesting is, so that, that um, the first two PSAs we've talked about are targeted towards adults. This PSA is clearly targeted towards children, because, in, in and thankfully they don't talk down to children, but one of the things, a beat that C-3PO hits several times is that, well, smoking doesn't make you more sophisticated or look more grown up. Like, right. he, he, yeah, he keeps yeah, hitting yeah. that. And I can, from, from my own experiences as a young man, um, I, know, I know lots of people who did start smoking and continue smoking in their teen years and their early 20s because they did feel that it made them look sophisticated or more adult. It was an adult activity that was forbidden to them, which only made it more attractive. And this this PSA confronts it. And the final PSA uh, I found was was relatively recent. Uh, it, was, it was commissioned in 2011. So it's well before the Disney deal. It's well after the prequel trilogy. I think the only thing Star Wars going on at the time is the Clone Wars animated series. But once again, it's R2-D2 and C-3PO. But it is a uh, PSA for the charity Variety, which is a children's charity which raises money for uh, disabled children and children with special needs. And apparently... Variety had partnered with Lucasfilm, and they were selling their 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 logo is like a heart, and they were selling heart pins with R two D two and C three PO. It's R two D two and C three PO talking about giving to this giving to this charity, uh, and it, it's it's amazing that Anthony Daniels can still f- wear this suit and will do so at a drop of a hat, um, which I, I really like that that dedication. The only thing I don't like about this PSA. Um, because I do think it's a worthy charity, uh, is that it's lit really weird. And because it's lit really weird and filmed with a high-definition digital camera, R2-D2 looks great, but C-3PO looks... He's urine-colored, is the best way I can describe it. Ah, so the the reflection of the light sort of make him... Yeah, it just does something weird to his color. Like, maybe it wasn't properly white-balanced or something. Um, and, and it's seeing this one filmed in 2011, which I had never seen before. I didn't notice it. And I didn't. I was not even aware of this until I was doing my research. This is what really made me realize, huh, there aren't any Star Wars PSAs. Yeah, maybe we'll see some. It'll be interesting to see. There's a lot more Star Wars stuff coming our way with the Disney streaming services impending launch. Um. And Disney claims that all of their cartoons are going to be on it. I'm a bit skeptical, but... Well, we'll we'll see what happens. Oh, yeah. there is one... I did find a really obscure Star Wars PSA. Okay, so this is a fifth one? Yes, it's a fifth one. Okay. It was a Star Wars PSA commissioned by the Tennessee Department of Energy. Well, they must have coughed up a lot of money for that. Um I, I guess, unless it was like... Now, of course, the possibility exists. It could have been commissioned by the United States Department of Energy and then was kind of like farmed out to different states and counties and they put their stamp on it. Um, the, the video of this that I found specifically calls out the Tennessee Department of Energy, but it's entirely possible that it could have been sent to every, every local department and they just put their name on it when it aired. Um, but it's R2-D2 and a guy... The guy looks familiar, but I couldn't figure out who he was. He might just be like sort of a that guy bit player. But it's them talking about the importance of energy efficiency to save money. And this would have been made around the time as, as the late 1970s fuel crisis. So I can totally understand that. 
but the big the big gist of it is like their big energy saving tip is you should vacuum the uh, the radiators on the back of your uh, refrigerator so that it runs more energy efficiently and like a little vacuum hose comes out of R two D two and he vacuums the back of a refrigerator and it's so weird that it's R two D two and not C three PO do you think they could only afford one or uh, or was or, or what. <laughs> It might have just been the availability, you know, when R2-D2 is there, it doesn't mean Kenny Baker is there on the set. That's true, that is true. And they they certainly had remote control versions of R2-D2. Um, C-3PO, you know, that's a harder thing. You have to have a guy in a suit. Most of the time it would be Anthony Daniels, but... And, yeah, maybe maybe it was a cost thing, I don't know. I mean, I can, you know, R2-D2 has so many gadgets, as we talked about with this episode of um, <laughs> Star Wars droids that him having a vacuum attachment is not out of the question i think it's in character um although i mean with that tip while a good tip how easy is it to get to the back of most people's refrigerators well that was the thing they recommend doing it once a month that seems refrigerators are pretty heavy i'm not sure i could pull it out once a month (laughs) especially when it's got food in it (laughs) Yeah, well, that's, yeah, sure. I mean, then the food would get jostled and something inside would spill and you have to clean that up. Right. How, yeah, that's, uh, that's really something else. We'll have to look and see. Yeah, I don't recall ever seeing a Star Wars PSA on TV, but it's, it's cool that they've had them in the past. Um, I think I saw the anti-smoking one when I was a kid. That one rant struck a really familiar chord with me. Yeah, certainly. Um I wonder if they did any PSAs or anything using stock footage from the uh, droids cartoon. I doubt it, but you yeah. know, we, it might be worth doing a doing a look around. Just doing a look around, see if you can find it. That's my favorite Ray Charles song. Doing the look around. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> there was C three PO and the look at his leg. It used to be yellow, and now it's red. Doing the look around. Oh, I believe you're confusing it with my red arm. Okay, um, so there you go. Yeah, next week we're going to be uh, wrapping up this story arc on Star Wars droids with the revenge of Kaibo Ren. I cannot wait. So for Star Wars droids... Well, for uh, In Trouble Again. Every time I mess that up. <laughs> uh, this is Matt. You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Also, check out the Cybertronic Spree, who do our theme music. Yes, they're quite good. I need to bug them again to see if what they think of the show, but they gave us permission to use their song, which was nice. And I thank them for that. Yeah, no, definitely. They're, uh, I, I was shocked at how easy that was. I thought I would hear nothing, which is what <laughs> normally happens. Um, they're good sports. Uh, I think so. And uh, they, um, their costumes are really impressive. No, well, and the fact that they're articulated enough that they can easily play instruments with them. Like, I yeah. I see so much cosplay that, in a sense, is physically debilitating and makes it impossible to do anything other than pose. The fact that their costumes are so good and they can play bass guitar in them, it, it, it's so good. I saw a great cosplay, I think, at the uh, uh, oh, Rose City Comic Con last year. And there was someone as Chewbacca... And this guy was on stilts or something because he was like eight feet tall. Or oh yeah, tall. I've seen guys do that. It was really neat. And then he had to use the elevator, so he had to like duck. And I got to I from a distance. I watched him kind of like wiggle into this elevator. It was very very <laughs> funny to watch. But I've seen a lot of good Chewbacca costumes, but this one like the height just took it above and beyond. And that that poor guy, there could have been a girl. I don't know. Uh, you know, it could not take three steps without getting people wanting to get their photo taken with him and wanting to pet him. Um, I mean, they say with C three with uh, Chewbacca, they had to have uh, when they did Force Awakens, they had to have multiple versions of the suit made because anytime people would visit the set, they would want to hug and pet Chewbacca's head, which of course would you know their oils would get into the fur and and then uh, muss things up. Oh yeah, you'd have to be constantly grooming that costume. Yeah, not to mention, I'm not sure what you'd do with the if you could wash it without ruining the the texture of it or just the the stench. Because I think the original one used yak fur or something. Well, Wookiees are dry clean only. (laughs) It sounds like a book of, like, life advice. Wookiees are dry (laughs) clean only in other tales. We we can do that. We can do our own own book of Star Wars fan advice. 
Let the Wookiee Win and other... No, that's a less creative title. Um, all there right, probably well, is already a book with that title. You, you could do a, a Let the Wookiee Win and have it be How to Play Sabacc. <laughs> a Gambler's Guide to Sabacc. Yeah, I mean, Another yeah. wit and wisdom of the Did Star Wars galaxy. Did they make that as a, as a board game, as a card game? Strangely enough, no. They did do, for the Solo um, movie, they did do a tie-in card game based on the card game played in the movie. But they never flat out call the card game Sabacc. They just call it the Han Solo card game. That's kind of lame. I'm. It no, also plays yeah. differently than we see in the movie. When... Uh, the iPhone first came out. One of the first apps on there was a, a fan made a unlicensed, unauthorized uh, Star Wars Sabacc app and quickly got a, a takedown notice. Yeah, I can imagine how that might happen. But, I, you know, I'm, with, with games like uh, Hearthstone or Magic the Gathering or what have you, it's a bit surprising there has not been a Star Wars version of that in recent memory. There was one in the 90s, the collectible card game. You know what? I've got a copy of that game. I'm going to play a few rounds of it, and I'll make that my Expanded Universe uh, critique for next episode. Sounds Because I do have some thoughts on I it. I remember being frustrated when I when I bought it. I bought it and then almost immediately returned it when I was in middle school, because I bought it. I'm like, oh, this is Star Wars. This is cool. And I thought with one deck you could play, but no. One deck only had half Imperial and half Rebel, and you had to buy two starter decks. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's the thing with collectible card games. Both players need their own starter decks. Although, you know, shout out to Hearthstone. The starter set has enough for two people. Not Hearthstone, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, Keyforge, oh. the new Richard Garfield card game. Very good. All right, so um, for... Oh, I in just said again. that. Shit. Yeah, let's do it again. <laughs> for In Trouble so, Again, uh, this is Matt. <laughs> and this is Thresher. Same. Well, if you're going to bring your toys into the bath, you should at least share. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Together again. It feels so good to be together again. In all honesty, I would love a duet of R2-D2 and C-3PO singing together again from Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs>